So we've gotten a lot of comments and questions about a story that Gloria shared in episode four, White Guilt Part One, about being pulled over in our small little white town. So listen to a little bit of that story. Cops all around my car, me and the girls were crying. Oh my God. And I don't know, I I vaguely remember, I might be making this part up. I know it was the, the captain, the sergeant, they called for backup and they were all around the car and I was afraid and I was crying. I said, they're gonna shoot me. Oh my God. They're gonna God. shoot me. And he said, get out the car. And I was like, I'm not gonna get out of the car. I said, I'm afraid you're gonna, he said, we're not. We, we, I said, why do I have to get out the car? Why do I have to get out? And I, I listened to me to this day, I never got out the car. So oh. they had two cars from the front, one from the back. And the girl next to me, she was like, Gloria, you would think we robbed a bank. Oh. You would thought someone's, you know, we, we, we stole something. She's like, right. we're coming from a basketball game. Oh. And I cried and I cried. And he was like, you know, he gave me like three different tickets, disrespecting authority, running a stop sign. I mean, I had the book thrown at me. Wow. I had the book thrown at me. And I remember this vaguely. They gave me my tickets. I wouldn't get out. The captain, came, the sergeant, he was like, let's just let her go. Uh, we'll see you in court. Uh, today, we're going to hear about what really went down behind the scenes after I got pulled over. Welcome to Hard Candy and Fruit Snacks. I'm Gloria Harrison, a TV producer living in New York. And I'm Carrie Clifford, an actor and writer living in Los Angeles. We first met in elementary school outside Boston. When I was part of a program that bused kids from the inner city to school in the suburbs. We're going to talk about privilege and disadvantage. And about what it's like to move from one world to another without really feeling at home in either. In this podcast, we're having conversations about race. And the awkwardness that comes with learning about people from another culture. So listen, Carrie, did you, I know that you and I have been talking about all of the emails, right? And text messages, mm -hmm. direct messages we've been getting. What I've been hearing is that people are so glad that you and I have decided to have the conversation. Yes, right. Totally. Because it's we're saying things that people may be feeling and for whatever reason they haven't been able to say it. They've been afraid. And we mm -hmm. are striking up um, conversations, starting points, at least, I think, for people. Totally. I think it's making people reminisce. It's making people think about race issues in their own lives, um, reflect on their upbringing, like everything. So, yeah. So I feel good about it. And and I we talked about putting in the work. And listen, we just finished our day jobs, right? Being moms, right, right. working. It's not easy, but we're trying to put in the work. And I'm right, tired. Totally. I am so tired. <laughs> but listen, I want to talk about an, a direct message I got the other day. And the person said to me, Gloria, as I listen to you uh, tell your story about being pulled over by the police. Which was episode four, I think. Episode, yeah. Uh, White guilt, part one. Uh -huh. um, uh -huh. sh this person said to me, you got part of it right. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? She's like, there's so much more to the story. So I said, you know what? I can't possibly repeat what was written to me. I can't tell it in the way that she tried to convey it to me. So I thought it would be a great idea for us to um, really talk to the person who sent me that that um, the message. And that is, it. yes, my former MECO counselor from Whalen High School, Marion Howe Taylor, who not only was my counselor, I got to put this out there. She went on to become <laughs> my mentor, my Aww. big sister, um, 
somebody that I could look up to and someone that said to me, Gloria, when I talked to you about those educational angels, she yeah. was one of the people in my life who said, you know what? I'm not giving up on you. Right. Even if Aww. you think you need to give up on yourself. So without further ado, please welcome <laughs> Mrs. Howe. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, it's great to be with you guys tonight. Oh, uh, this is so cool. Yes. And I can't even believe, because obviously the story that Gloria was talking about happened over 30 years ago. <laughs> so oh, like, yeah. it must have been monumental that you're also remembering like, oh, Gloria didn't have it all right or whatever, because that that's that was 30 years ago. Or that I could forget that. I mean, I was yes, so traumatized. Yeah. It didn't come back to me the first time I heard the podcast. Okay, okay. I played it for my mother Friday night. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, don't you remember all of the structure, Jean McGuire, who founded MECO and ran it for a thousand years, put in place to support students. In one of your earlier podcasts, Gloria talked about there were good things about mm -hmm. MECO and then there were some not so great. But this was a mechanism to protect students. Wow. Boston has been a hot mess with regards to race for forever. Right. Yep. And so Jean McGuire, kind of before the academic year would start, would have people come together and she would kind of lay out the structure. And her thing was, don't have the Globe or the Boston Herald reporters calling me or somebody else if something negative happens. I want to hear from it first. Okay. And she had like an unlisted number or it was in the Mecco book. And <laughs> so the phone tree. So somebody, one of Gloria's parents must have called <laughs> and said what happened. I'm guessing and it was my mom. Dean McGuire <laughs> then reaches out to the superintendent in Wayland, who then reaches out to then principal. Sharon Hennessy, who then turns around probably and contacts Norma Greenberg, who was head of guidance, and Jenny Buckley, who is one of the counselors. Wow. And then they get one of the teachers. Gloria called Academic Angels. Well, this was a teacher she thought didn't like her. <laughs> Sally Alexander. She Aww. was a tough teacher. She was English. wonderful. Yes. English teacher. Yes. 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 <laughs> and she wanted every student, regardless of race and background, to work to their full potential. Aww. And so she wasn't having Glory just give her anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, we had to work through some of that. <laughs> but she was the person who helped write kind of a, I guess, a a profile of who Gloria was related to sports mm -hmm. and the arts like as more well of her as character. leadership. Yes. Yeah. And so that, you know, how small Waylon is, right. You know, the police department, the court system, you know, the, the school department, they're all kind of in the same neighborhood. Right. And so <laughs> somebody, probably Sharon Hennessy provided that judge with a statement. So it's not that Glory came into the court, you know, Sunday best with her dad. <laughs> that probably helped. Right. But I really believe that that judge did not want 
news at five o'clock coming right. to Wayland mm-hmm. with an issue with regards to race. So they threw it out for a lot of reasons, not just because she looked good. And right. you know what else? It sounds to me like it took a village to put yeah. this whole thing together. And I had no idea. I'm really thinking seriously that I was so traumatized that I probably blocked that out. You probably did. Like that happens to me too. You just don't remember all the details, you know, but like, like how does it make you feel that you had like this team sort of like defending you and having your back? It's incredible. Like I'm, I'm so grateful. And where would I be though? Had someone not picked up the phone and someone not called and said, Hey, you got this person and maybe she gave a little bit of an attitude, but it's not the person, you know, just like you give, I talk about what's going on in America today. We don't give people the benefit of the doubt. And we really don't give black Americans the benefit of the doubt. So to know that she went through all of this, the teachers, the superintendent, Mm -hmm. it honestly, it warms my heart because right that day I was a little flip with the mouth, but I'm no criminal. I've never robbed anybody. I've never tried to kill anybody. I've never deserved what was given to me that day. And so to know that they went to such great lengths to prove um, to the judge who I was as a person, it means a lot to me. And it also is another thing that I'm going to put on the list that helped shape who I am. Little did I know. Because honestly, if someone didn't call, I would probably have gone through the system and a juvenile program being defiant to authority like it could have gone so many ways right you know and so yeah i'm sorry carrie go ahead no i was just gonna say like the only thing that's disappointing to me is like it could have been used as such a teaching uh example or like a a a monumental moment because you know i never knew that story until you told it to me when we were recording on the podcast and it's like i know that now in 2020 we're talking a lot more about race in that way but like I don't know. It's like it was almost like hidden from us or something that it was like it was this. Obviously, you had the experience, but we didn't we didn't get to talk about it as like a cop thing. We didn't get to or a teachable moment, right? A teachable moment. That's what I mean. Yeah. Until I'm looking at everything that's going on in the news. You and I are talking about our childhood. So it's bringing up stuff that I honestly think I, I just let go. But right. when I'm watching the news, I'm talking to you, I'm opening up about what it means to be black in America for me. And I'm right. looking at black men on the news. I'm looking at black women. I'm looking at people dying at a record number. It's striking emotions in me that right. I had let go. That what, right. I, That's probably why I tell you I watch the TV and I cry. I break down right. and cry because I'm like, you know what? That was me. Right. That can be me. And But then like so many times it was kind of swept under the rug. Like it's amazing that all these people came to your defense and everything, but it was like, we never knew about it. We didn't know that the cops were unjust or whatever, you know, like we didn't know that you were singled out because even though you had on your way, as a white student didn't know. Yes. Yes. But black students are always aware. Yes. No, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like that just kind of like perpetuated me being privileged and sheltered that like, I had no idea that this stuff was going on. I had no idea that Gloria would be treated differently driving her car than I would be treating driving my car. Right. And then listen, honestly, as I reflect, Mrs. Howe is right. We did talk about it amongst the Mecco kids and it was a learning. Mm -hmm. They did a whole thing about, listen, you get pulled over. It's not worth it. 
Don't talk back. Make sure yeah. you use your resources. We're here to make sure you guys are here safe. And it also scared the hell out of a lot of Mecco parents. People were mm -hmm. upset. Because they know me too. I'm pretty jovial. I get along with right. just about everybody. So it's like, what happened that day? And that's the part that gets me emotional. If I didn't calm down, because I was crying, I was shaking. If I would have right. pushed the cop just a little bit more, not even not even pushed him a little more, if he had a bad day or if he felt like me grabbing the steering wheel because I was aggravated was me reaching in my pocket, right. I would be dead right now. I would not be here speaking about this today. And that's emotional and that's scary. Right. But also, like, you must have had so much resentment, even more resentment for the town that, like, this was happening where you were going to school. I did, but it was a part of me growing up, too. I had to learn as I'm still learning as a, a, a I'm so young now, such a young adult, <laughs> but how to, how to not hold everybody accountable. Like, all policemen are not like that. All right. white people are not like that. And that takes a lot of uh, praying, mm -hmm. a lot of... um. Uh, meditating, a lot of mm -hmm. self-awareness of, I always ask myself, what do I bring to the conversation? What do I bring to the dynamic? Am I living my best life? Am I using myself as an example? And so when I, it didn't make me resent Waylon. It just made me uh, the privilege and disadvantage. Yes. Came out yeah. even more. And so I went through waves where I was like, you know what? This is why I don't want to bother, be bothered. So I yeah. do go through that still. Where I'm like, you know yeah. what? It's probably just easier if we just stay separate. It's too painful. Mm -hmm. But then I know that's not going to make the world a better place. No. That's not going right. to make the world a better place for our children. Right. So I need to do better. And so in that moment, I think I was more devastated and traumatized. I looked at policemen different. I, I was always afraid. I told you that. And then after that, I was like, oh, no, I'm good. I don't <laughs> want to become another victim. So I need right. to make sure that I'm not doing anything. Can you imagine that? That I have to put that on my list. Make sure you're not doing anything that may make them feel uncomfortable. Right. Because what could that lead to? Right. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. And um, Mrs. Howe, like, can you talk about your role with the METCO program? Like what exactly it was that you did? Well, I was attached to the guidance office. Okay. So I worked with Jenny and Norma, but it was really focused on the MECO students and their experience as well as the community. And right. so I was a part of, you know, coordinating um, assemblies that brought in diverse populations. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's, it was really kind of multicultural affairs, high school stuff. And do you look at, at the MECO program as being a positive thing? Do you see its flaws? Like, how do you look at the whole program? I'm like Glory, Gloria. I see both the good yeah. and the bad. But it's a commentary on our society. To fix what's wrong in America you almost have to go back and look at the founding documents of this country mm -hmm. because infused in the constitution are all of these mechanisms that afford white folks to enslave blacks. And there's still states in this country that still have slave laws on the books. Mm -hmm. Utah is in the process of trying to get rid of 
it's slave laws. How do you know about Utah? Where are you living right now? (laughs) Okay, I'm living outside of Salt Lake City in a town called Layton, a little north of Salt Lake City. But I work for Salt Lake Community College. Right, so you know what's going on. Yeah. And and I want to say this, too. When you said what you did for MECO, um, as a MECO counselor, it was um, extremely important to the MECO students because you were a liaison. I felt mm-hmm. like yeah. we could talk to you. We could also talk to the other guidance counselor, but I felt a connection to you. I felt like I could okay. look to someone who I could look up to, who looked like me, who mm-hmm. could inspire me, who, when I felt like teachers were giving up on me, um, mm-hmm. you would also help me balance that because sometimes I was wrong about that. And then sometimes mm-hmm. I was right, you know? <laughs> yeah. you, you helped me navigate through that. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but, but you helped me yeah. navigate. And so that's a very important role. I am mm-hmm. so glad that there was a MECO counselor because sometimes I don't think I, I feel like I was more understood, misunderstood, excuse me, um, right. than understood. And and right. like yeah. Miss Howell will tell you, like the teachers that would push me, they knew, yes, popular, mm-hmm. singing, sports, but they wanted me to push and go deeper in terms of my academics. Right. And so those are the teachers I didn't like because they weren't drinking yeah. my Kool-Aid. They're like, no, right. you're not, you're, you're not, you're not that fancy actually. And we don't Sally <laughs> Alexander, <laughs> Sally Alexander knew that you could do better. And she also knew what you were up against. And so if you didn't have solid grades, you were not going to the college of your choice. You mm-hmm. might not get into any college. Right. And so, that's a whole nother, that's that's a whole nother issue. And we will touch that one day. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> okay. But I remember you too. You always had like a great sense of style. You were very like, yes. uh, was so right. So well put together. Her and like very and her, her, yes. her nice uh, outfit. She just came ready, ready totally. to present. But let me tell you, wardrobe is armor when you are a person of color. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Because anybody can be stopped. Mm-hmm. I was stopped for the first time in my life here in Utah, the first year I moved out, driving my husband's candy apple red Eldorado in sweatpants because I was going to the gym. Never again. I've been out here 20 years. I never leave without makeup. Don't wow. leave the house without lipstick, wow. at crazy. least. And you've mm-hmm. got to be dressed. But see, that's not fair, though. No. Because your neighbor can wear her sweats and she can go around her car. Come on. That's not good. Oh, honey, I take a sweat bag and take it to the gym and change. I I was like, that'll never happen to me again. And then also in my first year here, I'm in downtown Utah, Salt Lake City. And I go into Nordstrom's Village, one of those stores, to get Christmas gifts. And I'm waiting in line because, you know, Christmas shopping, the lines of people. I'm in a full length mink coat with a tuxedo collar all the way around down to the floor. Fox, do I look like the help? This white woman walks up to me and drops her stuff in my arms and says, ring me up. No. They do not see you. No. They see your color and assume that you're help. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, that's all I can say. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's and what race did, in America, honey. What did you, did you say anything? <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't even process it. I just yeah. went, ah! Yeah. The, comes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the floor manager comes. I left with so many 
50% off coupons. Mm. I barely paid for the stuff I had, okay, with all those coupons they gave me. Right. Because they wanted me to come back and they wanted me to know they were not racist. And right. you know what's sad? She may have thought, but I can't even defend her. You have on a coat. A come jacket. On, I mean, come like, on. Yeah. No, not a jacket. A no. coat. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Excuse me. Right. Okay. Right. Let me bow down. Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. like, get it correct, honey. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, it's a jacket. <laughs> right, because we try to understand, right? Don't we? I try to say, okay, yeah. maybe the lady, but no, I can't even, I, I don't know. know what to say. But that makes me so sad go. that you feel like you can't be yourself. Like you have to dress almost like you said, you said armor, but it's like you have to put on a it costume. Right. But, but it's also like putting on a costume, right? let me right? tell you, I'm 60 years old now. Mm -hmm. Okay. The style is who I am. Right. It may have started out as armor, but right. now it is who I am. Yes. Right. Right. <sighs> I don't even know what to say. I'm just still like, wow. I know. Yep, there you go. Wait, our I other know. producer, Frankie, he can hear us. He's just <laughs> shaking his head. He's like, <laughs> he's, uh, he's like, I'm listening to this like, whoa, <laughs> not okay. No, yeah. not okay. It's America. Yeah. This is America. It is America. Yeah. It sure is. What do you think about like the handling of how a school system like Wayland or most school systems deals with talking about race? Like I feel like my education was like Martin Luther King fixed it and like like it's he, you know, thank God for Martin Luther King and it was it was never sort of like and, I, and I'm in no way like I think he is amazing, but like clearly there's still problems in 2020. D like, do you have opinions about that, about just how like race was discussed? Well, and America is interesting. And I mean interesting in that it has a very short memory. Mm -hmm. And so you would think that Martin Luther came King came and saw civil rights as though folks, African-Americans hadn't been fighting for civil rights since they were stolen mm. from their homeland and brought here to labor. Mm -hmm. But it's this moment, moments like what galvanized the end of the 1950s and 60s, the killing of Emmett Till. And his mother deciding that, no, I want the world to see what they did to my baby. Mm -hmm. And so photographs of his body. just mangled body Ugh. are, you know, time and life. And it woke folks up. And so it energized King and the Christian, um, the Southern Christian Leadership Council and people like our representative John Lewis who just passed mm -hmm. to march to risk their lives crossing the Edmund Pettus bridge mm -hmm. and so today it's not like 2 years ago 3 years ago folks weren't killing african american men but seeing george floyd on the ground mm -hmm. crying for his mother mm -hmm. with his last breath woke everybody up again. Mm -hmm. And so maybe this time there'll be 
sustained change. But this, mm -hmm. is, this is a country of laws. And so if legislation doesn't get passed in the United States Capitol, that impact on change, changing systemic racism, we will be here again in 20, 30, and 40 years. Mm -hmm. You know what's sad? Because like you said, it's been caught on video, but those are the ones we know about. How about right. all the other right. lives that have been a lot lost that are not documented? And, and we have been, and Carrie, we, you said it's now that it's been in the news that you're seeing it more. It's, it's heartbreaking for everybody, everybody, no matter what you look like. But my thing is it's been heartbreaking for us since the beginning of time. We right. have lived through this, our ancestors. And, and I'm telling you, just like I want to go back to being pulled over again. I watch the news and maybe it's in the back of my mind, my subconscious, what happened to me that I forgot about, but I'll just start yeah. crying. Yeah. You know? Because yeah. it hurts so bad. The, the desegregation of the Boston Public Schools in academic year 73-74 was my freshman year in high school. Wow. I was lucky enough, my parents had me in private school in Arlington Heights. And so that's where I was at this Episcopal Girls Boarding School, St. Anne's, having a wonderful time. Hmm. And all of a sudden, the city explodes with racism. You know, they're trying to turn over the buses going mm. into South Boston to kill these little black children. They are taking a flag pole with an American flag. This is an iconic picture in government center, man trying to ram a American flag and I guess, stab some black people. <laughs> the, it just exploded the anger. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we had a family friend pick me up, pick up another person trying to drive home. And my parents, we hadn't moved to Brookline yet. We were in Roxbury and they were, you couldn't go where you wanted to go. The mounted police and, um, the National Guard were funneling traffic through Dudley Station and then out to the expressway. Mm. But we wanted to go right and go up Warren Street, and we couldn't. It was blocked off. So we got to Orchard Park, and we said, okay, the community center is here. Pull in here, because Buddy was driving his aunt's brand-new green two-door Charger, Chrysler. Oh my God, the car was fabulous. And so we park the car, we go into the center, and there my father is with our Black Shepherd Major. And there's, I mean, the writing was in Orchard Park projects was just terrible. Hmm. My father looks out the window and he sees a car driven by a white man who obviously was working, you know, in Dorchester, Roxbury. And he's trying to get out of the city. And the mob basically knocks out all the windows, mm. rolls up an abandoned car, lights it on fire. And just before both cars explode, my father gets that man out of the car. He's unconscious and bleeding, throws him over his shoulder. And my, our dog, Major, is like doing crowd control so the crowds <laughs> won't kill my father. But oh I'm telling God. you, I was watching this thinking, oh, my God, my father's going to die. Wow. Trying to save this white man. 
who probably calls us niggas. Ooh. You know, so I was, <laughs> it was just a bit much for me. It, it totally traumatized me, probably for my whole freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. I kept, I mean, I, I would say for the first month, I would get up in the middle of the night and sneak into my parents' room to make sure my father was really alive. Mm. It, mm. it was just that horrible. Wow. Wow. That's deeper than what we were even talking about, about desegregation and, and, and trying to make it work. Wow. People were so angry. People are so angry. So I get back to St. Anne's and I am done. And Sister Mary Juliana gives me the day (laughs) off and tells me, go hang out in the library. So I go into the library because she said to me, you know, your people have been struggling through this for generations. Hmm. Go find some stuff about your folks that maybe will give you some strength and perspective. And that day I found a book of poetry edited by Langston Hughes. Oh. And I found a poem written by one of the only female literary voices from the 50s. Her name is Naomi Long Magic, and she's still alive and she is phenomenal. Wow. She wrote this poem called Midway. And it says, I have come this far to freedom and I won't turn back. I'm climbing to the highway from my old dirt track. I'm coming and I'm going and I'm stretching and I'm growing and honey, I'll reap what I've been sowing or my skin's not black. I have prayed and slaved and waited and yes, I have sung my song. You've lashed me and you've treed me, (laughs) but I still grown strong. And it goes on. Oh, oh I love that it. is fantastic. That with Listen me to my me. Whole life. Ooh, you are coming through. You coming through <laughs> tonight. Come on. This is amazing. I'm okay, so excited about this. Thank you so it, much. It, it, for ends, it ends by saying, basically, you may hate me, you may deride me, you know, but mighty mountains, mighty mountains loom before me and I won't stop now. And that's what African-Americans have held on to, that sentiment mm-hmm. that no matter what, we are here and we will grow strong. But there's still mighty mountains. There's that... still mighty mountains. Yeah. They're there. Yeah. They ain't going nowhere. You got to climb them. Yeah. You got to climb them. I mean, speaking of climbing them, I want to ask you, what was your reaction when you found out about um, the podcast? When you found oh, out that, so we, excited. <laughs> that we were talking about race, that we were talking about this very issue, what, what, what were your feelings on that? Well, first of all, I'm so proud of you. So that's first. The second is this is a conversation that needs to happen more. And so as much as we can demonstrate that these kinds of conversations can be had and that bridges can be built Mm -hmm. towards understanding, I think it can inspire those of your generation and those coming up. That's what I think. That's so nice. Yeah, that's, and that's what our hope was. And, Mm -hmm. and and I got to tell you, when I keep saying putting in the work, uh, you don't know this, but the listeners should know that me and Carrie have gone back and forth about it about the direction of it, about what we wanted to say and not always seeing eye to eye, but I also think that's what makes what we're doing special. 
There's no mm -hmm. acting. There's no, um, we really just did it to try to inspire conversation. Mm -hmm. And if it gets one person who's listening to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to maybe the next time I'm approaching somebody, I'll look at it different Then, then it's worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe next time you see someone in a long fur coat, you don't, <laughs> you don't Yo, think they work there. Okay. <laughs> Wait, but Carrie, as we grow the podcast, I think that we would love to have Mrs. Howe back as a special guest. Like what you drop, you just drop knowledge. You just drop totally. some old school stuff. And I was like, honey, let me listen and pay yes. attention and learn something. And our producer sitting there looking, Frankie's like, yes. Okay. Tell her, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's loving it. You're dropping the mic on many levels and we yeah. need it. And we feel encouraged to hear from you that you would mm -hmm. take the time and, and speak to us about this. Cause I'm not going to lie. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. it's, no, it's not, not easy to open up your heart. It's not easy for me to tell Carrie how I'm feeling and to get emotional and for her to tell me how she's feeling. It's, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It is a lot of work. Here's the thing I have noticed my whole life. Not everyone is a racist. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not everyone of color is prejudiced against white folks. Mm -hmm. You know, we understand that this is a legacy that you have inherited just like we have. Mm -hmm. But we need white folks of character, of, you know, of heart, willing to listen and be willing to stand up and say, this is wrong. We need to change it. Right. Because race in America will never improve until white folks take responsibility for what their ancestors put in place <laughs> and turn it around. Wow. We can't do it. Right. Black folks have been trying to do it for generations, you know? Hispanic folks have been trying to do it since Chavez walked. You know, it, it, white folks have to take responsibility for the hate that they inherited and help us change it. And let me ask mm -hmm. you this. Would you agree when you say, I've had people say, I feel bad about what you've gone through. I feel bad about uh, race relations in America, but they're still pushing the negative narrative. You're still going to put someone in office when you know in your heart of heart that this is the wrong thing to do. And I want to help change that. Listen, think about the future of America. Carrie, are you still glad you picked up the phone back in, what was it, March? Yes, but it's like, but it just perpetuates the the guilt thing, you know, because it's like I'm hearing this and I'm like, yes, yes, it's it's my fault or it's my ancestors' fault, but like, what do I do? You know, You're doing because it. what I you take, you take one step, mm -hmm. whether that's to call your senator mm -hmm. or your representative, and you look at the issues and evaluate how they affect everyone, right? Communities of color and white folks, and you try to figure out what would you consider if you were a person of color. How would that impact you? And right. then stand with us to force change. Because in this country, it's a country of laws, you've got to change the laws. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep. There you go. There we go. You got to change the laws. And listen, we already started. She does. She seems nice on here, but she's really bossy, actually, Carrie. <laughs> and she told me that we're going to donate and we're going to give back. And we've done that. So we've got a list of things. So we're going to add, you know, I'm sure she'll follow up with me later and say, listen, who are we contacting? <laughs> she's laughing. She's not denying it either. She's just laughing. Yep. She's like, Gloria, you got to focus because you don't have trouble focusing. You know, you can appreciate that. But, mm -hmm. but we're, we're getting stuff done. And I do mean when I say one day at a time, one call at a time, yeah. one donation at a time and connecting other people. And you are our first um, honorary guest. Yes. And we oh, thank I'm glad you. to yes. be here. <laughs> And this was Thank a natural so thing. Much. Listen, one You're text, welcome. one direct message. I was like, oh, I can't. I could have never said what you've just said to us yeah. in the yeah. way that you said it. So passionate, yep. so elegant. I couldn't have done it. Right. Okay. I got to let the queen be the queen. Slip <laughs> <laughs> on back. <laughs> That's All why right, she girl. wears full-length fur. That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Lipstick popping. Hair yeah. done. You know, I got to work it. I do not wake up like that. I got issues. <laughs> I'm still a tomboy. <laughs> You've been listening to Hard Candy and Fruit Snacks with my mom, Gloria. And my mom, Carrie. This episode was produced by Frank Bolita, Carrie Clifford, Gloria Harrison, and an ACL joint production. With the music by Alex Skolnick Trio. Check them out at Alex golnick.com Tune in next time to hear more from our moms. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.